steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, well, a lot's been going on in the NFL and specifically in Vikings land. So we have a lot more to cover with free agency. A lot of changes going on in Minnesota right now, as I'm sure you have uh, come to realize at this point. It's going to be a very different team uh, in 2020. Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about some of those changes, specifically Michael Pierce signing with the Vikings, replacing Linfeld Joseph. Uh, Everson Griffin is officially gone. He has waved farewell despite not signing with the team as of this recording. We'll talk a little bit about Josh Klein and kind of the confusing decision to part ways with him. And then uh, just in general, we'll talk about free agency and what name other names may interest the Vikings and might be a good fit for their cap situation um, and then I think we're going to spend a little bit of time trying to decipher what the Vikings are trying to do with all these offensive moves, or excuse me, these off-season moves. Uh, so that's the game plan for today. Uh, let's jump right into it here. Let's start off with Michael Pierce, since that really, for my money, is has been really the only good move, or at least positive move, um, that the Vikings have made since the beginning of free agency. Uh, I mean, you can, if you want, you can say one of the moves that they've made to release players has been a positive the Xavier move. Rhodes one, I suppose, was given, a positive. Given yeah. the salary and the, the contract. But, uh, yeah, Michael Pierce, you know, that's going to be – he's going to play exactly the role Linval Joseph did um, and is expected to perform at that level as well, the way Joseph did in his prime over the past, you know, five, six years uh, as that run-stuffing nose tackle that just eats up space that um, kind of allows – Eric Kendricks to play with freedom allows um, Anthony Barr to range and, you know, um, launch himself through the line of scrimmage for uh, a tackle in the backfield. Like that's what a nose tackle can do an effective one. And that's what Pierce does. So uh, that's, yeah, that's like, like, I think I agree with you in that in terms of adding players, the Vikings haven't really added many players, um, <laughs> but it's a really good addition in terms of the guys that they've either brought back or signed onto the team that's probably the best move and the most significant uh depending on how you feel or what you think anthony harris franchise tag counts as but uh the peer signing is definitely a good one because if you're going to lose linval at i guess he was going to be paid at over 12 million dollars each of the next three years three for 27 mil for pierce is a pretty good value for what should be uh solid uh similar performance if not better yeah so Michael Pierce is not Linville Joseph coming over from the New York Giants. Let's just get that out of the way. When Linville Joseph signed after winning that Super Bowl uh, for the Giants and came to Minnesota, uh, he came with a lot greater pedigree. Uh, he was a pass rushing uh, you know, expert at a time when Aaron Donald didn't exist at a position where pass rushing really wasn't all that, you know, necess- I don't want to say it's not important, but it wasn't the main priority for a guy who plays nose tackle. Um, he's also coming over from a 3-4 scheme in Baltimore. 
He's playing next to Brandon Williams for all these years, and he actually recently said in um, in an interview that in order to open up snaps for him, that Brandon Williams was playing out of position so that Michael Pierce should, could play in his position. That means a couple of things for me. First of all, Brandon Williams, great guy, to earn his buddy a paycheck. Um, other than that, it's not necessarily the greatest sign for the Vikings who love versatility, since we know that this guy has been pigeonholed as basically a nose tackle. And then you look at his physique, if you want to call it that, at six foot three hundred and forty pounds, he's a hulking human being. But he looks like, like his his dimensions are like the size of like a Botero art <laughs> photograph. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? Like, does Botero hit for you? Like the guy who makes the the really fat adult human paintings? Sure. Yes. Sure. Yes. Okay. I'm hoping that it works. That lands for someone because that should be funny if you know who Botero is. Um, but he's been productive in when given the time. So last year was essentially the first. It's the second time that he's been a full-time starter in his career. He had a year layoff in between um, last season, so not a, not a guy who's going to produce sacks. Three and a half sacks for his entire career. That's over 30 starts and 60 games played. So if you're expecting Linville Joseph pass rush numbers from a guy who's going to be playing a more firm version of the nose tackle spot in a 4-3 scheme, uh, you're going to be disappointed. That's not who Michael Pierce is. That's not who the player that he is. Um, that's not his skill set. Now, if you're looking for a guy who's going to eat up space and make tackles for loss in the backfield, specifically on running plays, that might be something that you're going to get. He's at he's 27 years old. Vikings got him for a hell of a deal at $9 million per. So like Drew already said, you're going to be saving roughly $3 million. I think the Vikings shed 10.5 in cap space so on an average annual salary basis. And without looking at the, the ins and outs of this contract, you're saving roughly a million and a half more to get a guy who's four years younger, probably entering his prime, same way that Linville Joseph was to some degree when he came over um, and you shed yourself of salary in the process. So overall, that's a very good move. Like if you told me that you could trade an aging Linville Joseph for Michael Pierce uh, to pay Pierce less money, I think you take that 10 times out mm-hmm. of 10. That's the most fun. It's not necessarily the most significant, but that's the most fun move that the Vikings have made in free agency. And you get a player, ultimately, who is going to do exactly what Mike Zimmer likes from that nose tackle spot. He likes to have a three technique who can rush the passer, and he likes to have a clogger who basically is just there to eat up space. And if he gets sacked here and there, great. But that's not his ultimate goal. He's not going to be running stunts. He's not going to be maneuvering from, you know, the one all the way out to, like, the five on a stunt. That's not something this guy's going to do. He's going to stand there, and he's going to eat up space, and he's probably going to take on two or three blockers at a time. And that's what he does, and that's going to open up a lot for the scheme for the Vikings defense. Right. Uh, like, like you said, this isn't a player that's going to get sacks, and I don't think that's necessarily the the role that this spot has been the entire time. Uh, Linville has produced some decent sack numbers, I suppose, for a nose tackle, but uh, that's I don't think that's part of the job description in right. this role. So uh, we're not going to be expecting that, and it's one of those things, too. You can't really evaluate a nose tackle it's hard. Uh, looking at numbers, uh, you have to do it, you know, watching the games and, and noticing and all the comments from, you know, looking back at Ravens fans, what they've said about him uh, seemed to be pretty positive that he was an effective player. So uh, and plus, he's if you I don't know if you guys follow him on Twitter yet, but he's an absolute hoot on Twitter. So uh, <laughs> he's uh, I mean, how old are you? <laughs> just hey, it's fine. But people are asking him about or what was it? Oh, uh Somebody told him about Juicy Lucy's right in Minnesota, and he <laughs> quoted it and said, "Like somebody, please inform me what the hell a Juicy Lucy is, you know." And then people are, of course, giving him suggestions on what restaurants to visit, and uh, not a great time for that right now, obviously. But um, 
Which ones like came he, up? Which restaurants came I'll up? Have to, I'll have to bring it up. There was, I think, three or four uh, the top ones kind of in the Twin Cities area. So um, I'm, kind I'm, of, I'm kind of interested in that now, too. Um, other than the fact that he eats Juicy Lucy's, it seems like he's going to fit right into Minnesota because he seems very excited to be in Minnesota, whereas a yes. lot of guys do not seem to be super excited about Minnesota right now. So I like that energy coming from Michael Pierce when you look at the way that Stephon Diggs just left, uh, the way that Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes had kind of communicated their thoughts about no longer being with the Vikings in the future, the fact that Mackenzie Alexander signed a one-year $4 million deal to go to a franchise that is definitively rebuilding, and he probably won't even be there for the rebuild. Um, all of these things kind of point to things not being great in terms of the reasons to come to Minnesota, but Michael Pierce has found at least one in the Juicy Lucy. Yeah, so this is actually the Vikings Twitter account that responded with these options. It was a poll they set up. So uh, Matt's Bar, 5 A Club, the Nook were the top nice. three options okay. there. Good. I was just wondering to make uh, sure that the Nook then, was on there. And then there was another option as well, but uh, those are the three options. It looks like Matt's Bar got 47% of the vote, so I've heard, uh, he'll be I've heard, by I've when that's good. open. Yeah, that's... I haven't had one. I've, I've had a Juicy Lucy. I haven't had one. Shamrock's time, so. the Nook has the best one, in my opinion, but I'm a St. Paul guy. So um, Minneapolis, I've heard that Matt's is great. But that's really beside the point here. Um, getting back to – Is it, though? I, I don't eh, – <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's not. You're right. But let's get, let's get back to a little bit fo- more football here with Michael Pierce. One thing that concerns me. And keeping in mind that he's an AFC player, so I have not spent the last you know four years of my life watching every single snap he's take taken. Um, I've watched the highlight packages like you guys have. I've seen the All-22 over the last several years. So I have an idea of who this guy is as a player. I don't know everything about him. I'm going to learn just as you are. Uh, one thing that I look at from an objective standpoint when you're looking at statistics, things that make me nervous. Snap percentage over the four, first four years of his career. 36% as a rookie, 54%. 38%, 49%. So basically floating around 50%. Linville Joseph, granted, is a bit of a freak and was able to get closer to 60%, 70% pretty consistently, if not even higher at some points in his career. As a full-time player, he's going to need to hike up that percentage a little bit here. Like anywhere between 15 and 20% would make him more of a starting caliber player as opposed to a rotational player. This makes Shamar Stefan that much more important if he's only playing 50% of the time. Because then you can have a, ro- I mean, you can have a rotation at that nose spot. Do you love that if your best player only plays 50% of the time? Probably not. Do you want to pay a guy $9 million to only play a part-time player? Probably not. So that concerns me a little bit when you look at both, again, his physique. I'm not one to talk, but you look at his physique and then you look at, it, at his percentage – it makes me a little bit nervous as to what the Vikings are going to do. They're going to need more depth at this position, and I assume that you know the answer to these questions are coming during the draft. But it's just one thing to keep right. an eye on when you look at kind of his ability to stay on the field heading into his first season in Minnesota. Right. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, bring up the snap count, because um, I was going to mention that you know if this guy is not going to play that third down, if at all, right? Right. Uh, this is not a third down player. It's going to be the first, second down, and um, you know again that's kind of what Linval had sort of evolved into the last few years of his right. Minnesota tenure was first and second down only. Um, and it seems like, you know, Pierce is kind of going to sort of continue that trend, so to speak of the nose tackle playing, you know, basically first and second down um, and not on the field for any passing situation. So, um, and is that what you want to invest $9 million per year in? Uh, 
perhaps it's certainly cheaper than it was for for Lindwall. So um, is that you know it's an interesting market to discuss the the nose tackle position because you know they're not like especially the way the league has evolved they're not on the field a ton. Uh, passing is your passing defense in theory should be way more of a of an importance than your than your run defense given the way um, offenses are are built now so it's, it's it's certainly an interesting discussion but nine mil per year it's a better value than what they had yes. prior to 2020 that's certainly facts um, I'm excited to see Michael Pierce in the field I hope you guys are too like I said this has really been the only joy that I've gotten out of free agency so far um, so let's transition here into some of the things that have made me not so happy that the Vikings have done. Um, the main one here, let's go with Josh Klein first, and we can talk about Everson Griffin a little bit more since we did spend some time talking about him a couple episodes ago. The Josh Klein move absolutely baffles me, straight up. I, I do not, I cannot wrap my head around it. I have watched people talk about this situation, whether they are informed or not. Um, I have read through Twitter. I have talked to you know my buddies and gotten their perception, whatever that is. No one I know can figure out this move. Like, from a objective standpoint, from a subjective standpoint, I don't care how you look at this thing, whether you're looking at the numbers or you're looking at the play on the field, whether or you're looking at the PFF grades or whatever you're looking at, I don't get it. I don't understand this move. And for those of you who, ha- who don't know what I'm talking about, the Vikings released Josh Klein after one year of signing, what was it, I believe it was a three- or four-year deal after he played in Tennessee, and... They essentially shed about $1.5 million in cap space in order to take on about $3.5 million of dead cap space. Which, first of all, a couple things wrong here. First of all, you should never be saving less than you're going to end up having to take on in debt. You're paying this guy to play for a different team. That's number. That's, prob- that's problem number one. Then there's problem number two here. He's not the worst guard on the team, let alone the worst offensive lineman. If you're going to release a guard... Release the guy who's playing opposite him, Pat Elfline. What? I just don't – I just – I fundamentally do not understand what's going on with the situation, and I don't think that Josh Klein played that poorly last year. He wasn't – not only was he not the worst, you could make an argument that he was top three on this line last year because Bradbury was a roller coaster, very inconsistent, at times one of the worst players in the entire league, at times a very solid player. Then you got the two tackles who gave you mixed results on the left side and on the right side with Brian O'Neill being your best offensive lineman. I think Josh Klein was the third best offensive line the Vikings had last year. I, I don't understand this move. Can you explain this to me? Uh, I can't. I really can't. Um, now, it sounds like there's some interesting uh, verbiage in the contract where if he's actually does sign with another team, some of that dead cap is actually right. you know, carried on by the other team. So it's not all of that four and a half mil of the dead cap is not, I don't think as long as he signs with another team is not all going to be paid by the Vikings um, or be penalized for the Vikings. But it, it the, to your point, he was the best interior lineman for the Vikings last year, right? That's pretty crystal clear. And his yes. salary was not anything huge. So it, and it, it sounds like it's still possible that, you know, he's brought back if there is somehow no market for this guy at all. Uh, in that range of salary, but it's just, it's, it's, it, it like, it's weird. It's weird. It, it suggests that they, at that moment, were searching for any type of cap space they could find. So they cut Klein to get a, a million and a half uh, to make some sort of move, which has not been made yet. Uh, that's, that's, right. that's okay. the weird pro- part of this is they're in rebuild mode based on that move, right? Yes. Uh, and they're trying to either that or at the same time, 
they have some move in mind that they're going to make yet in free agency or some trade or whatever the case is that they're just trying to find every inch of cap space they can find, which is also why I think that these Anthony Harris trade rumors are still out there that they're trying to get rid of that franchise tag number and have, you know, after that, they'd have something like 20 to 24 mil in cap space after that um, to make some sort of trade. That's the only explanation I can think of right now. Um, And apparently they would, they were thinking that that, million and a half of cap space would be a, the difference uh and then they can easily i guess find a guard to replace klein in the starting lineup which doesn't seem like an easy task either so, right. especially uh, given the vikings history with their offensive line and specifically the guard position as of late yeah, yeah. i mean not I named steve hutchinson when's the last time the vikings did a nice job drafting and developing a guard they didn't even draft Hutchinson. i know so uh, <laughs> they 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 stolen from the Seahawks. I don't know. Um, that's that's a good point. I mean, you can't even... The Vikings offensive line's been bad for a long time, so it's, it's kind of unfair to... But it's not unfair, because under... Especially under Spielman, like, uh, offensive line drafting, really evaluation at all has been pretty pretty substandard, pretty below par. Yes. And they've uh, tried a lot of stuff, for what it's worth. They have tried very, very well, hard have, to fix this position. They've, they've tried a lot in terms of in-free agency. Um I think they've, you know, Alex Boone was was an attempt Klein. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, at least now last year they drafted Bradbury, but prior to that they hadn't spent first round picks like at all on, uh, you know, offensive linemen besides Matt Khalil, which that worked out for one season. So I don't know. It, it's it seems like it. it again, I, I'm going to go back to my theory of what this team is doing. You know, Kirk extended. We're going to stay contenders, right? Then Diggs wants out, he's gone, and then suddenly they're looking at this like, well, now rebuild's the best way to do this. And so now they're kind of making all these moves to go rebuild full on, like not tank for in 2020, but uh, it seems like now after that Diggs trade, they, Spielman and Zimmer have been given sort of a longer leash to rebuild in 2020, and then 2021 and 2022 were kind of their seasons to get back in contention. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this... This type of move really signals something, and it's it's all bad, really, this type of move. It either means, and I'm hoping that this is the situation, that the Vikings are in cap hill and they're doing anything to wait, any way to get out of it. I hope that that's the reasoning behind this move. It still because, seems like another move could be made besides Klein, if that's the case, but right. it would at least have make some sense thinking, trying to think about it logically. Right. Right, and if that's the only explanation here, I can live with that because the Vikings are in a poor cap situation, but that's you know that's their own doing too. So at the same time, I don't understand it. But then if this move signals a rebuild, I've got a problem with that, and we'll talk about that later on in the show uh, for a lot of the reasons that you just said and kind of alluded to. Uh, the other thing that it could potentially signal is, again, going off of the theme here, that people just like aren't unhappy in Minnesota and – if the Vikings can find a way out of out from underneath it, and Josh Klein isn't happy playing in Minnesota, well, he was under contract for multiple years, right? So That's I, why I don't get what it. What it sounds like is they, because it's not like he left. They they tried to get him to restructure for something cheaper, which is not like he was making a ton of money, and he wouldn't want to do that. And then they were just like, all right, well, then you're gone. We're going to take on the four and a half dead dead cap unless you get signed somewhere else, which has not happened to date. It's baffling. It's baffling. I'm very confused by this move. Uh, I inquire you to uh, 
um, leave your thoughts because I'd love to read them because I, I, I'm very confident that everyone feels the same way about me as this move as I do. Like, I want the Vikings to come out. Like, I want Rick Spielman to have a press conference and for Courtney Cronin to walk right up there and say, why the hell did you release Josh Klein? That's what I want. Because someone needs someone needs to explain but, that move to uh, me from inside the Vikings we, department. You know, from Spielman, like, in the past, what he said, like, there's – he's not going to be very crystal clear right. and upfront about what he's doing. Uh, so – this one just goes down as something that we may never get an answer to. And right. um, hopefully we do, but I think you're probably on the money with that line of thinking. Um, let's cover these other signings and re-signings um, and just general changes that aren't going to have a huge impact uh, before we jump into Everson Griffin, which I think is probably one of the more important uh, decisions the Vikings have had Hold to on. make. Through. I think I, my fire alarm is going off. Check. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep talking while Drew's uh, fire alarm is going off. Uh, he just walked. So for those of you who are not listening, or excuse me, who are not watching, and that's most of you, Drew just got up and walked away. So you've just got me for here for the time being. Um, so let's talk about these free agents that the Vikings have retained and they brought and re-signed here. We talked about CJ Ham already last week, so no big deal there. Fire alarm's definitely going off. <laughs> so this is great. Um, I don't know. Well, just I, I'm going to keep talking. and. Okay. Uh, keep your phone ready in case I you have to do the rest of the show by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Um, all right. So let's talk about Britton Colquitt a little. And by let's, I mean myself and whoever's listening, since I'm talking to myself now. Uh, Britton Colquitt, uh, the Vikings punter, he re-signed on a three-year, nine million dollar extension that includes five million dollars in guarantees. Uh, expected deal uh, in the general area of what I expected the salary to look like. No real complaints here with Britton Colquitt. He was outstanding. Um, he's also, you know, been very important just as like as a holder as well. I know that that people don't seem to think that holding matters all that much, but you know, I've been told by special teams coaches in the past, and I think we've seen in recent history with the Vikings that a good holder can make all the difference. So he's not just getting paid for his punting, which is excellent, and certainly well above average. He's also getting paid to hold, which he does at a very high level as well. Uh, contributed a lot to Dan Bailey's success, which leads me into, of course, Dan Bailey, who um, also will be returning to the Vikings. Now you've got your entire special teams coming back here. Uh, you've got to feel comfortable with that spot, which ironically, as a position, kind of a, a space that Vikings fans have, you know, <laughs> endured problems with for quite some time. Uh, so it, it's good to get some stability there. Uh, it's certainly, these are, you know, these are players that may not you know, play more than four or five snaps in a game, and sometimes as they might only play zero, but you want to have them when you need them, Right. Uh, you want to have a good puncher when you need a coffin corner kick from your own 35-yard line and you're in a field position battle. Like, that's that you want to pay these guys, and I know it seems ridiculous to look at special teams and how much these guys are making relative to, I don't know, for example, Eric Wilson, uh, who just signed a one-year contract with the Vikes as an, un, uh, as an unrestricted free agent and got a second-round tender of $3.1 million. So, theoretically, he's only making a little bit more than your puncher is, but at the same time, we understand how the NFL works. We understand how this business progresses over time. And ultimately, Eric Wilson will be making plenty more money than Britton Colquitt if he has the same type of stability in the league as the punter does. Uh, so moving forward here, let's let's talk a little bit about Sean Man Mannion. Because, uh, again, this is another move that I simply don't get. Um, 
<laughs> quick update on Drew too, by the way. He's uh, he's outside his building now, so there's a very real chance that I'll be doing the rest of the podcast by myself. So I hope you uh, enjoy hearing my voice. Um, uh, so Sean Mannion, uh, the Vikings bring him back. He is your veteran backup quarterback. He signed a one-year contract extension, and ultimately, I don't even care how much money this contract is worth because I don't understand the purpose of bringing back Sean Mannion. Okay, so you've got Kirk Cousins, right? And then you want to have a guy behind him who offers either A, stability, or B, potential. So with Cousins, I, you know that you have stability with Cousins. You know what you're going to get from him. He plays almost every single game of almost every single year. The only time he sits on the bench, essentially, is when you force him to sit on the bench. Um, he's been you know, very healthy, knock on wood. So from that standpoint, I understand having a clipboard holder. Sean Mannion's obviously a very bright guy. I, I can see some, you know, some Kellen Moore kind of stylistic things with him where I feel like, you know, he, he can offer more as a coach than a player, despite, you know, being in the midst of his playing career. So from that standpoint, I get it. From the standpoint that if he has to ever play, I've got a real problem with that. Like a very big problem. Like, Mannion has proven time and time again, whether it's in Minnesota or somewhere else, that he's simply not that capable of a quarterback. He can barely throw the ball more than 15 yards downfield. He definitely doesn't get it there with any zip on it. And the ball wobbles on top of that. So on the field, he's not going to he's going to hurt your team more than anything else. He pro- if you have to play a full game with Sean Mannion at quarterback with this Vikings team, he better be only throwing 15 times a game, which is a real problem because, you know, you need to throw the ball in this league to keep to keep pace. That that's straight up. That's the answer. If Kirk Cousins goes down, the season's over because Sean Mannion's not giving you any upside. None, none whatsoever. The other problem that I have with resigning Mannion is that it might deter the Vikings from drafting, you know, a developable player in free agency, and that is interesting because in this class of quarterbacks, there are a couple of guys out there. You know, I think of Jalen Hurts immediately, where if you give him a couple of years of experience learning how to be a pro and working on his fundamentals a little bit, I like him a lot more as a backup and the potential upside than you get from a guy like Sean Mannion who isn't going to give you anything on the field. Like, hell, hire him as a coach if you believe that he's such a good asset to your locker room. If that's the only reason, it's not a good enough reason for me. That's where I'm at because he doesn't give you enough on the field. So I very much disagree, and I have vehemently disagreed with this move multiple times uh, you know, throughout his tenure with the Vikings. It simply just doesn't make sense to me. But ultimately, he's back. He's going to be your backup for Kirk once again. Uh, I suppose there is a very realistic possibility that he could be cut you know, come the summertime. But for now, he is still your backup quarterback, and anyone who has those, you know, the same dreams that I did of the Vikings potentially drafting a quarterback in the second or third round, that gives you potential for the future. That may be put on hold. I don't want to say they're dead, but it may be put on hold because of this move. Because we've seen the Vikings carry three quarterbacks before, but with Kirk Cousins, that's not something that they love doing. So something to keep in mind, keeping you up to date on all of these moves here and kind of where I'm at and where I stand on uh, that specific move. Um, Not happy with Mannion, happy with Pierce, happy about Bailey and um, Ham, who we talked about last week, and Colquitt. Um, and Eric Wilson, of course, it's nice to have him back as depth. But the Mannion move baffles me. The Josh Klein move baffles me. Some of these decisions are just they, – they just don't make a whole lot of sense, which uh, 
I'm, I'm getting texts. I'm a, I apologize. I'm a little bit distra- distracted because Drew is texting me. He currently has a fire truck outside his building. So um, this isn't a drill. Uh, I, it sounds like you might be getting me here for the remaining, you know, 10, 15 minutes of this podcast. So um, I'm going to try. I, I actually haven't done this in a very long time. Talk to myself. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Everson Griffin real quick. Uh, since we, like I said before, we have covered kind of where we're at with this position. Uh, it's difficult to see a guy who has been here so long um, ultimately leave the Vikings. But that's exactly what's going to happen. He put up his farewell post on Instagram. It was heartwarming. Uh, it's tough to see a guy leave that I basically grew up with. You know, my time as a young adult uh, has been with Everson Griffin on the Minnesota Vikings. So that's tough to see. Uh, but at the same time, it creates it, – it, it, it sucks from kind of the emotional standpoint, but it also sucks from, like, where the Vikings stand defensively on their, on their line right now. It's going to be Daniil Hunter – and Afedio Dunigbo heading into next season. Those are your starters right now, because you've already you've already lost you've lost Griffin, uh, and you've allowed other defensive ends to go in the past. I mean, you're you're simply you're just not you're strapped at that position again. And granted, the Vikings do <laughs> update. There are three fire trucks at Drew's apartment now. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, so you, you look at the rest of kind of where this line is right now, the, the third defensive end on the Vikings roster is Eddie Yarborough. Okay. So that's where we're standing right now after letting Everson Griffin walk because of cap space. That's really the only reason here is they couldn't come to an agreement on that deal. And I, I it's just, it's trending in the wrong direction. That's what this Everson Griffin move shows me and it, it it subjects the Vikings to a rebuilding phase because they're all like by choice like by actively choosing to rebuild or by simply being forced into it one way or another they that's where they're at right now with the exception of the Kirk Cousins move they have entered into a rebuilding phase basically because of all these guys leaving your future has essentially migrated somewhere else that's where the Vikings are at now and they're filling in pieces, you know, here and there to try and remain competitive. And I think that they will. But the Everson Griffin move had really signaled something to me because he had a lot left in the tank. This was a matter of, you know, being financially strapped, not being having any way around there. And the direction that this defense is heading is you've got a couple of, you know, you've got a couple of veteran guys that you can really trust. You know, guys like Daniil Hunter and, you know, Harrison Smith are the obvious ones. You feel very good about Eric Kendricks and potentially Eric Anthony Barr as well. But a, re- a lot of these names are going to be new next year. There's the potential that Anthony Harris will ultimately be gone too, that he, his kind of status in Minnesota remains in limbo. And you're going to have a whole new set of starting cornerbacks. <laughs> right now, your starters are Mike Hughes and probably Holton Hill or Nate Metters or Chris Boyd or Mark Fields. It's not a it's not a it's not a position that you want to be in to not only be rebuilding your defensive line, your pass rushing, specifically, as well as your secondary, because those two areas of your defense are supposed to complement one another. If you don't get good pass rush, you better have good coverage. If you don't have good coverage, you better have good pass rush. Well, the Vikings may not have either, with the exception of Neil Hunter and Harrison Smith. I mean, I don't know how you're going to stop anybody with the way this defense is trending. I'm very, very low on all these moves that the Vikings have been making. It's just been, it, it has been baffling from start to finish for me. 
to see the Vikings go from being a team that won a playoff game last year. And ultimately, that might be kind of something that hurt the Vikings more than it helped because it made a lot of they made a lot of decisions that ultimately were probably a reflection of winning that game. And now they're sitting in a position where they're basically rebuilding with the with the quarterback under a huge contract, huge, huge, huge contract. When ultimately the best part of rebuilding is the fact that you don't have to pay the quarterback that much because he's likely a rookie or a second or third year player. So, I I I'm going to save the free agency remaining co- stat. Uh, topic line because that was something that Drew wanted to talk about specifically. So we'll we'll get into that next week. Uh let's I want to talk about specifically what the hell the Vikings are doing. And I'm I want to try to figure out a way and this is something that I can monologue the way out for the show here. So I don't understand the the approach that the Vikings are taking to this offseason, okay? So let's look at this step by step and then try to come to a conclusion on what they're trying to do. So Ultimately, Drew made the point earlier that they signed Kirk Cousins to an extension. That gives you stability. That's something that we can all agree is good for the most part, depending on how you feel about Kirk Cousins. But stability in general is a good thing. Okay? So you've got Cousins under contract. Now, all of a sudden, and this is something the Vikings probably couldn't totally predict, but the last string bursts with, last draw bursts with Stephon Diggs, and you have to move him. That's a rebuilding type move to trade a wide receiver in his prime to rebuild. So you go from, you know, stability and contention to rebuild in two swift moves, two of your biggest name players in your team, arguably the two icons in the organization right now. Then you have to get rid of Xavier Rhodes and Linville Joseph. So you're changing. (laughs) Drew just walked back into the room. You're changing the entire dynamic of the way your defense has looked for the last five years or so. Drew is back. Thank I'm back. <laughs> I am currently going through the final. Yeah, what, what? How did you do that by yourself for I, whatever I just, that was? I just kept talking. I just kept talking, and we went through. I, I guess went, you don't have a problem with that usually. Yeah, generally that's not a problem for me. I I did kind of. I, I was laughing at your texts and kind of like stumbling over my words a couple times there. <laughs> but we got through Everson Griffin being gone, and that kind of just bled directly into kind of the what the hell are the Vikings doing segment that I wanted to do. And I was going to save free agency, um, you know, kind of in impact players for next week since you weren't here. But now that you're back. uh, Oh, it's it's fine. I I am out of the conversation (laughs) kind of. So uh, I I don't know what there is left to discuss or what there is for me to give my two cents on. Well, you could definitely give your thoughts on this. So I was going through the kind of the moves the Vikings have made and then what what they have signaled, right? So the Kirk Cousins... I use your words. Literally, the Kirk Cousins move, stability, as a contender move to extend your starting quarterback. Then you got the Stephon Diggs move, which I gave the Vikings credit for. They couldn't fully predict that w- what was going to happen in that situation. But sell- trading him to Buffalo, that's a rebuild move. So we've, I've gone through two moves so far. we got a contender move and a rebuild move. Then you've got the Rhodes release and the Linville Joseph release, which are changing the dynamic of your franchise, changing the face of your franchise, how it's going to look moving forward. But both of those moves, in my mind, are contender moves. Freeing up some cap space for players who are aging and not playing super successfully over the last few years of their career. See, I, I think that's just a, a move that's necessary. Like, it's not it's even a, signaling anything. They're just both bad contracts that need But you to have checked. to give, like, you have, it, it, the moves mean something. If that if the Vikings were in rebuild mode, they could 
take they could keep those contracts and keep kind of the name recognition of those players to sell tickets. Releasing them to me is is a move where, like you said, you have to do it, but at the same time, it's also giving you the opportunity to contend by spending money elsewhere instead. So that's where we're at with the, those are the three kind of moves that I've gone through so far. Then you've also got Josh Klein, which to me is a rebuild move because I I don't know why you get rid of your best interior mm-hmm. lineman. That's a rebuild move. Uh, you've also got you know letting Everson Griffin go. Uh, that is kind of a forced rebuild move because ultimately you couldn't pay him what he was looking for. Um, and then you've got who's I, I keep forgetting the name of the other defensive end, the one that signed in Carolina. Uh, Weatherly. Weatherly. Stephen Weatherly. You let him go. Uh, that to me isn't really one way or the other. It's not a defining move, but it's it's more rebuild than anything, given where the Vikings' defensive end spot is, which I just covered while you were gone. Um, you got signing Eric Wilson. That's uh, to me is a contender move because it's adding depth to your position. You got re-signing all your specialists, Colquitt and Bailey. Those are contender moves to give your special team stability at a position positions where the Vikings really haven't had much success. And then you got signing Michael Pierce, which is it's also a contender move because you're bringing in a starting caliber nose tackle to fill a position of need. And you're spending that money that you got from releasing Linville Joseph. So overall, that's where you're at. So you've got contender moves, you've got rebuild moves, and that we're basically splitting 50% both ways right now. Mm-hmm. I, what the hell are the Vikings doing? I just want to know the I, I want to know what the answer I don't want to know what the direction is. I. I understand the logic behind some of these moves, right? Freeing up cap space, obviously. You need money in order to operate the organization. You know, bringing in some new faces, getting rid of some old faces. That happens every offseason. No two 53-man rosters are ever going to be the same. I understand that part. But if you're going to extend Kirk and you're going to pay him $45 million in one whole season, just one season, $45 million bucks, if you're going to do that, the corresponding moves have to make sense. Allowing Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander to go to Cincinnati. One of those guys should have stayed if you're a contender. One of those guys should have stayed. And it probably mm-hmm. should have been Mackenzie Alexander because that makes more sense financially speaking. Okay? Some of these moves just don't make sense. And they don't add up to what a contending organization would do. The quarterback is the defining move because it's going to eat up all your salary cap space for the foreseeable future. And you basically have to try to be a contender now because of that one single move. But right. every other corresponding move that they've made so far, with the exception of the Michael Pierce signing, has basically been rebuild or a nothing move, a fill-out-the-roster type move. So I want to know what direction are they heading? What are they trying to do? I don't get it. See, okay, I've thought about this a little bit too, and I think my thought on this is – so it, the popular belief in the NFL is that when you rebuild, you are – you know, you ch- you wipe out everything clean, right? Like you're, you know, if it means cleaning out your, you know, starting over head coach, general manager, quarterback, whole roster, whatever the case is, that's your rebuild. Uh, I feel like the Vikings are trying to do sort of like a soft rebuild here where they feel uh, ownership and front office are confident in the higher up positions such as head coach, Zimmer, uh, obviously Spielman, and then Kirk Cousins. They like it seems like they like the stability that that trio has presented. So they want to keep those three around for the next three to four years even and rebuild everything else. So in like 2020 is kind of like a, not a tank year, but they're sort of sacrificing maybe success in 2020, trying to rebuild the rest of the team over the next two to three seasons. So that can compete in 2021, 2022. And they think Kirk is the quarterback to, 
keep that team in contention in those years, like to bring that team to contention after 2020 is kind of a lame duck year. That's just my thought on it. I think that's what they're seeing it as. I don't agree with it, uh, but I think that's just what they're thinking. I think they like what they have at at head coach, at quarterback, at general manager. And I think from there, they want to rebuild everything else because of the poor salary cap situation, because Diggs wanted out. And I think they now have, you know, brought in what they have 13 picks in the draft. So they're going to use a bunch of picks in the next couple of drafts. I'm sure Spielman will trade a bunch of them and gain some for 2021 as well. Right. And kind of do a softer rebuild that he kind of did in like 2015, really. Um, when the Vikings were 20, they went seven and nine, they killed the 2015 draft and then they won the NFC North. I think that's kind of what they're going for here uh, it, with this weird, like rebuild, but not rebuild type of thing. It, it, it's baffling. And there's no logical explanation for why they would do these moves in kind of the way that they've gone about it. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I I think that for the first time in, what, probably since we hired Mike Zimmer, since the Vikings hired Zimmer in 2014, this is really the first time that I felt like the Vikings like kind of authority figures are not necessarily on the same page with one another. I think Mike Zimmer is trying to contend right now because he knows that his job is yeah. at stake, right? And that's why, I mean, did you read the, the news blurb that came out today? I think it was Darren Wolfson that said it, that uh, that Zimmer specifically wants to keep Anthony Harris, but right. the yeah. upper management... Yeah, I was going to ex- refer to that too. Yeah, they're exploring other options for what to do with that situation. So to me, this is the first time that I've ever seen Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman not be on the same page. And there might have been little pieces, you know, no relationship, no business relationship is perfect. I'm sure there have been plenty and plenty of times when Spielman and Zimmer well, have disagreed. disagreed. But this is this is a disagreement about the entire direction of right. the franchise. Right, exactly. Uh, so it's one thing to disagree about, oh, we should be draft a cornerback in the first round of the draft versus an offensive lineman or versus the Quan Treadwell or whatever it is. Um, but this is like, you know, you're – it's the mission of the team in 2020. What do you guys, are you going to put all your resources into contending or are you going to try and plan for the future? Cause that, especially where the Vikings are right now, they can't do both at the same time. And I think that there's, you know, a part of me thinks they might be trying to do both at the same time as well, which I think that they are, which doesn't make sense, which leads me to our questions. You just can't do it. You can't, you can't do that. The decisions the way that they're set up right now. I completely agree, and the decisions that they've made have led us back to my question. What the hell are the Vikings doing? Because this is the first, like, during the offseason for the last, what, five, ten years, I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to say I've agreed with every single move the Vikings have made. We certainly have not. I just went on a rant while you were gone about Sean Mannion being resigned for, like, the umpteenth time. <laughs> of course you did. Right. That's how I spill, That's how I fill space when you're gone. Honestly, that's what I do in my real life, too, is I just complain about Sean Manning when I'm filling time. <laughs> now, there are plenty of things that I didn't like that have worked out. Case Keenum, for one. I mean, you, you guys, I, some of you have been listening to this you know, this show or our other shows in the past. No, neither of us were fi- fans of Case Keenum, but by week 14, we loved the guy. Everything about him, he was the best. He had developed and done everything within the system to make everyone happy. Now... My point being here is there are some moves the Vikings have made this offseason, which I might disagree with, but they might they certainly could end up working out in the Vikings' favor. You know, letting Trey Waynes go, for example. Neither of us like the dollar amount that he signed for. Hey, maybe straight up, maybe he's going to be awful. He's going to be the next uh, 
Namdi Asamoah to sign with a different organization and just completely, you know, fall mm-hmm. apart. He could be the next cornerback to do that. It's happened plenty of times on second and third cornerback contracts, okay? The Mackenzie Alexander move, hey, maybe his personality really is a huge deterrent. We've talked in the past that he's been questionable in the locker room. Uh, and that his personality is strong, and it may you know kind of conflict with Mike Zimmer and his yeah. mentality. And this is this is the side of things that we have no idea about, right? Right. Like the, 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 the how 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 people get along, like in, in the <laughs> right. most general sense right. of the word. Like you know, I mean, we, you mentioned before Kirk and Stefan Diggs, very opposite personalities. Like that right. could be a clash where things just one side or the other. It's this is weird to work with this guy. I don't like. It's not gelling well with this guy. Whatever the case is, um, that you know. It, maybe that's happening, you know, in more spaces in the organization than just Kirk and Stefan, and it's not getting as much attention or it's not being brought to the public as much by one of the individuals, whatever the case is. That's behind the scenes stuff that we don't know, and that could be the, ex- the explanation to a lot of these moves. Uh, additionally, right. but uh, it's again uh, from the outside looking in, it's very. Uh, I don't think any Vikings fan really knows or has an idea of what. 2020 will bring because you know this team still has ro- a talent on the roster it just doesn't Plenty. seem like they've probably got six they've probably got well they've got you know close to double digits former all pros on the team but right now heading into next season i mean you can make an argument that kurt could be an all pro candidate probably not all pro but definitely pro bowler you can make all pro candidacies for both anthony harris and harrison smith daniel hunter is obvious eric hendrick's I Adam mean, Thielen. Adam Thielen as well. I mean, Kyle that's, Rudolph that's at six. His peak. Yeah, we just named six for sure. And then Kyle Rudolph also, if you know, if he catches a bunch of touchdowns again. I mean Hendricks and Hunter, like There's plenty of plenty of talent to cont- contend immediately. But if that's the case, then I don't understand the rest of the moves. Like the draft has to be good, okay? And it needs to be not just if you're trying to contend for next season, if you're gonna try and win ten or eleven or twelve games next year. They're going to need to hit on two starters in the draft. Granted, and they, they have to work right away. They have to be immediately. Stephon Diggs hit right away in 2015. Yes. yes. Or Daniil Hunter right away in 2015. Or Eric Kendricks right away in 2015. Like, <laughs> 2015 <laughs> draft. Just do that again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the situation that they're heading into. They're going to need a starting cornerback that's going to be – and these, that position doesn't really work out too well for rookies for what it's worth. But they're going to basically gonna need a starting cornerback and probably a start, either a starting, starting caliber wide receiver – you know, a guy that's going to give you good quality reps. I mean, there's normally 20 of them in every draft. It there's certainly a, well, there's like... even more in this draft. There's a ton of receivers in this right. draft. So, so I, I mean, this is getting ahead of what we're trying to talk about here. But uh, they should go, in my mind, they're not going to be able to get one of the, like one or two elite guys in the first round because right. they're at 22 and 25. So I think they should just wait, get a receiver at the second or third round. You're still going to get a stud first-round caliber guy there and then use your first-round picks on offensive line, cornerback, you know, defensive, any of the other 95 needs that this team has. Right. Okay, so ultimately there's no answer to this question, and I knew that coming in, right? But uh, this seems like a situation where there's 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 a lot going on, and there's not a whole lot of kind of the, the chemistry that I've come to expect from the Wilfs down to, you know, Mike Zimmer. And that's really the only rational explanation here. The only other one that I can come up with is just that these moves are better than I think. And that means that they're better than a lot of people think. Or right. I mean, it, the, the, we should clarify. We're not smarter than these people. No. Like, these people I, are in those positions for a reason. So 
there's a very good chance that these work out better than we expect and there's a mission behind everything it's just outside looking in it doesn't make a ton of sense what's happening and, and it's it seems like they're it, it seems like the vikings are in a much worse spot now than you know yes. it, we expect them to be in you know yes. looking back at this four or five months ago yeah and the other possible answer here is that rick spielman is gambling on the draft which He's done it before, <laughs> and it's worked before, but it's also not worked before. There's a reason he got fired in Miami, folks. So, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Drew doesn't have the answer. I doubt you do, but if you do, feel free to share that answer in the comment section. Um, we got about five minutes left here, so let's just finish up with that segment that I said we weren't going to do before, but now are going to do because Drew is back from his three-fire truck emergency. <laughs> uh, Free agency. There is free agency doesn't have a timetable. Never ends. Players can still, you know, be signed to teams through despite the fact that, you know, the fun week is over. And there's some still some pretty good names out there as well. Uh, I know that there was one guy specifically that you liked. Why don't you tell yeah. me about him? Well so I I really thought you know, I think right now wide receiver is probably the biggest uh, right. our most pressing weakness on this roster because and that's saying a lot because, you know, cornerback's an issue. Uh, offensive line is an issue. Um, you know, there's specifically those two are huge problems and huge holes right now. But at wide receiver, you have Adam Thielen, who excellent player, right? Um, I have no qualms with him. Um, but I think when you talk about receiver, first of all, passing game is the absolute necessity in the NFL. Uh, you look around at all these offenses that do super well. They have a ton of receivers that are getting separation at will, right? Kansas City won the Super Bowl with guys that are uh, open all the time. 49ers, same way. Signed Emmanuel Sanders middle of the season or traded for him. Um, you got receivers all over in, on that team, plus George Kittle, who uh, makes himself available at any time. Those are the two teams in the Super Bowl. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, low-key. You know, they have Corey Davis and then A.J. Brown came out of nowhere. They have a, actually a very efficient passing attack, although they became named known for their running game. Passing attack helped them along the way. The point is getting at least two guys that you can consistently trust to get open on the outside is important. And Kirk Cousins does not like to throw to guys if they are covered. He wants that separation to be created already so he can tr throw it to that open window. Uh, Adam Thielen's really the only guy, if you look back in his history, that he's trusted to throw into contested catch situations. Diggs has never been uh, given that many chances because it's always been Diggs creating that space and he's wide open if you look back at all of the Diggs highlights from the past couple of years. So bottom line here, they can't run with BC Johnson at number two at this point, and I don't think they plan to. But I was looking at Robbie Anderson and Brashad Perriman as a number two or like a free agent signing to at least bring in as a number two guy for now. And then you can address the need also in the draft. Robbie Anderson's now with Carolina Panthers who are sneaky, a scary offense. Now McCaffrey more Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson. That's a nice little uh, offense they have there in Carolina. But I think Prashad Perryman is the next best guy to bring in. Uh, and I think they have the cap space down to do it. And so that's what I would pair with Thielen and Perriman. And then I think you get a, speed type receiver in the draft to kind of fill in that sort of digs role guy that goes deep down the field and that's that can defense. definitely be Perriman though that's true it's worth he, he ran that four two two I think did he really it couldn't have been that fast it no I, it, fast. I'm pretty sure it was that fast because I remember I had a bet with a guy in college who was a Ravens fan when he was drafted in the first round and I bet him that if he wasn't on the Ravens in four years uh 
that he owed me a 24 pack. So that guy owes me a 24 pack, but I haven't spoken <laughs> with him. So. <laughs> well, okay. Parabin, <laughs> he, he, he came into his own as the number three option with Tampa yes. Bay last year. Yes. Uh, had a couple games where Evans and Godwin were both out towards the end of the year, and he mm-hmm. filled in pretty nicely as the number one option. He definitely could take the top uh, off the defense. That's, okay. that's something well, like he can that. definitely like do. That. That's because that, you need a stretch the field type guy to replace yes. Diggs. Because that's the only role Diggs played last year, which was wrong. That's a different discussion. But wide receiver is a huge need because I think Kirk relies on his guys to create separation more than he relies on his arm talent, which isn't necessarily right because I think his arm talent is really, really good. Yeah. I just think he doesn't trust his guys uh, in the one on like the contested catch situations when they're not open very much. And that's where you need a guy like Perriman. You need a guy like Anderson who could be guys down the field. Or you need, I mean, Diggs would be nice, but that's not a thing anymore. So you need someone <laughs> other than Thielen. And not to mention Thielen's production has dropped off a ton in those games where Diggs has been out since 2016 or so. Right. Uh, there's a clear difference in production for Thielen between, you know, the games when Diggs plays and when he doesn't. So that's a lot of information I just, like, spilled out in the last, like, three minutes, four minutes. But uh, wide receiver uh, most important need on the team right now that they got to fulfill if they're going to be a Kirk Cousins-led franchise for the next few years. Okay, so there are a couple other wide receivers that I think that we can connect dots to and take traits from and apply them to the Vikings offense and have it make sense, especially if you add a guy like Perriman who could take the top off the defense. Because if you're going to combine Adam Thielen as your kind of your possession type, your go-to guy, chain mover, if you will, then you do need a guy that – Basically, Stephon Diggs fulfilled that role last year, just you know, running yeah. 20 yards downfield and carrying a safety in a corner with him. Having a guy like Perriman can certainly help with that. Now, if you can't get Perriman because for he's and he's a he's basically like he's a solid player, but he does one thing really well, and everything else is just like kind of okay. Okay, that's how I feel about Prashad Perriman. So that one thing though has gotten Deshaun Jackson paid so many times. So. I, he might be out of the Vikings' price range. And if that is the case, here's a couple other guys who fit the kind of that M.O. You could get Philip Dorsett, too, if he can stay healthy. He just he signed. Oh, with the he Eagles just signed with, uh, oh, God, now I forgot. Chargers, maybe? No. I can't remember who it is. Now I have to look it up. But, yeah, he is off the market. As okay, of, like, so we can now. take that one off. I also saw that Travis Benjamin signed with the charge with someone as well, too. So that takes that's your other guy there that take the top off the defense. Uh, the other names here that I looked at, Tajay Sharp from your Tennessee Titans. Seattle. Um, or starts with Seattle. Seattle. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, Tajay Sharp and Taylor Gabriel are the two guys that I would look at as your possession types to play opposite Adam Thielen. Both guys run very effective routes, specifically short routes, and they can beat you with a quick move and a little bit of burst. That's what Taylor Gabriel and Tajay Sharp have done in their careers. I like Gabriel a little bit more. I know he's a little bit older, but he's more of a precise route runner, and he's like a very, very, very poor man Stephon Diggs in that regard. Where he's a good route runner, but he doesn't have the explosive ability and kind of the playmaking talent that you'd see from Diggs. But he runs runs the same route tree, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. Um, the names that I wanted to look at, though, were cornerbacks. So I'll flip onto the other side of the equation here. The cornerbacks that are available here may be a little bit out of the Vikings' price range just based off of how much Trey Wayne's got paid. But you look at a couple of these guys. Prince of Mukamara at 31. I know I've given him – I've thrown a lot – his direction. I got one name without even looking at the list. I don't know if this guy's been signed yet, but I need to know. Uh, is, is Nick Hell Roby Coleman signed yet? Not to my knowledge, no. Then that should be their number one priority. 
Yeah, you've got him to be your nickel. At cornerback. He should yeah. be the, the But he's guy. specifically a nickel, though. So you still would need That's an fine. outside That's guy. That's fine. They don't have a nickel right now. That's yeah, these are these are these are facts, unfortunately. They don't have anything besides Mike Hughes. Who can play nickel, I guess, but yeah. um they don't have anything. I mean they I have like, like three corners right now. I like Roby Coleman. He's an efficient tackler, he's instinctive, a little bit undersized, but you don't need to be big to play the nickel and Zimmer's defense. So he would make a lot of sense. And I know that Jordan Reed likes him a lot too, so that instinctively just makes me feel <laughs> like it's a good move. Uh then you've got you've also got Logan Ryan, who's coming off a very good year with Tennessee. I think that he's going to end up getting paid a lot more than he's worth. So I think that he's kind of out of the question. The big one that I want to look at, and I think the one that the Vikings can get a deal on because of his injury history, is Ronald Darby. The guy was playing for Phil most recently in Philadelphia. Was drafted by Buffalo. Played at Florida State. Ultimate coverage guy. Doesn't fit Zimmer's style and the fact that he doesn't tackle at all. Just not a good tackler. Doesn't even want to do it. So that part See, I have fit. a bad visual of Darby in my mind just because it seems like the Vikings <laughs> have just absolutely torched him the last yeah, couple yeah. years. He was so. hurt. He was hurt in Philadelphia last year, so I give him a bit of a pass. And I do think that was, also brings I, the price I, down I think, too. No, it was Jalen Mills. That's who Thielen torched yeah. uh, at Philly a couple yeah. years ago. That's Darby right. wasn't even on the field. I don't think the last time. Okay. So, um, but anyways, I think that he probably looks the best of the remaining cornerbacks that are out there. Uh, so. I'm with you. I think wide receiver has to be your priority. And the way the salary cap situation sets up, you can get a guy that can come in and give you play 40%, 50% of the snaps off of free agency. I should say 40% to 50% of effective wide receiver snaps of the guys that's, that are left here. And you can and you can pay them too with the, what, $10 million yeah. in cap space the Vikings have left. I think that's realistic. It gives you a pull-and-play guy that you can start immediately while you're developing, you know, uh, a draft pick in this first or second round, probably, you know, I would lean second or third round like you with the wide receiver position, given what you need at cornerback right now. But um, any final thoughts on free agency? Any other names you want to pull out there? I know Jadavian Clowney is the obvious one here, but let's just be real here. The Vikings aren't going to be able to pay no, him what No, he they're wants, not. So. Um, I was going to mention, uh, I don't be on the lookout for Everson Griffin to Tennessee. I think that could happen. Yeah. I don't think it's a good scheme fit, but I think it could work. Interesting. As a pass rusher, like often outside linebacker, he would be moving to offensive outside linebacker. Right, because they run a three-four in Braybill's defense. I think I think he I think that could work. Interesting. All right. Dark horse, dark horse for Everson Griffin. Although it doesn't apply, matter at all to the Vikings, but fair enough. All right then. Well, uh, that about wraps up this show. Then, uh, bit of a wild roller coaster of a show here. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So. I I don't know. I was What's outside. What's the ultimate resolution there? I was. I don't know. They, I, we were just standing out there, and then the guy, somebody from the fire department, was like, "Yeah, you guys can all back go back in." And there's meanwhile four fire trucks, their lights on, right outside the building. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't see anything. I didn't see any or smell any smoke or anything. Now the building's pretty big, so who knows? All right. Well, I'm glad we got some closure there, um, and we have some closure for this podcast. So yeah, make I got sure to go outside for the first time in like five days. So. That's required too. That's essential movement, basically. Yes. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> All right. So if you like the show, um, you probably like the other shows as well. That means you should be a subscriber on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify all those places. Um, find us in Daily Norseman. Check out the rest of the Climbing the Pot- Pocket Network. 
Uh, we'll be back next week talking more free agency, and we'll probably be moving more into draft stuff here, uh, which is getting more interesting by the minute with the coronavirus and how it's impacting how the uh, NFL is going to handle the NFL draft. So expect that moving forward here. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. Cheers.